know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. And we have a new world champion. Well, I say new. It's, it's 1995, but new to us as we're plodding our way through 1995, I guess. And when I say us, I obviously mean the pairing of us that is trudging through 95. First of all, my name is Sai, and joining me as always is the fantastically knowledgeable wrestling encyclopedia that is Scottish Danny. How are we doing, sir? I'm really well, thank you, sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. Very, well, I say I'm very good. As of time of recording, I've just sat through 90 minutes of my football team being completely embarrassed, and they are they are shockingly bad. But you know, is what it is. Is what it is. You can't win it all, can you? So yeah, not not a fun afternoon for me, my friend. More fun than what match my man Randy Savage went through at uh, World War Three, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. He, he walked out with the belt, so. He's got to be happy to a degree, but we'll get into that shortly, won't we? We'll get into that shortly. This is the November 27th, 1995 edition of Monday Nitro. It's uh, from Salem in Virginia, and it drew 2.5 with regards to the television ratings in comparison to Raw, which did a 2.3. So a narrow win again for WCW here. And it's very much the the fallout show. Of World War Three, the pay-per-view that we reviewed last week, where we had the crowning of Randy Savage as a new champion, and a pretty stellar undercard that Danny and I both agreed was well worth a watch, even if WCW decided just not to bloody advertise it anywhere, because, you know, WCW, and that's that, I guess. We start off this episode of Nitro with a really unnecessary replay of the Hogan nonsense from World War Three. Danny, were you, were you happy to see Hogan tear off the black once again? No, not really, but <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they didn't show the best part of this, which was the um, Sting trying to put out the fire. That's what I was hoping to see. Um, what did you think, sir? Well, you know, we spoke about it on the last episode, didn't we? It's a load of silly nonsense. I can understand where Hogan's coming from, what he's trying to do. but I, I, And again, I appreciate <laughs> times were different back then, weren't they, in 95? It's not like, it's not like everyone would have bought the pay-per-view. And now, a day now, now obviously, you know, a wrestling show is on, a pay per view is on. Oh, sorry, a premium event is on, uh, and you, you know the results are in thirty seconds of it finishing. Most often with video clips, because everyone just looks on Twitter, Facebook, and so on. That didn't really happen in '95. So, and you didn't get automatic replays or you know unlimited replays or on demand replays or anything like that. So the replay they're showing later in the week, which you've got to pay for again. 
they're trying to push that to get an extra few quid or an extra few dollars, I guess, out of that. So I can understand where they're coming from because some people might not have seen Hogan leaving the dark side and returning to the red and yellow and be, they might be unaware of it because they might not have seen the pay-per-view. They may also be using this as a little teaser trying to get people to book the pay-per-view again for their midweek rerun, I suppose. But yeah, from a standpoint of view of me, Danny, I didn't need to see this crap again. No, totally. But now now you said that, I'm just imagining if Twitter was around in 95, that would have definitely made uh, gone viral, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. I wonder if, in, you know, everyone argues about everything, basically, on, on wrestling Twitter. People are arguing all the time about AEW versus WWE, and then it was NXT versus AEW, and then it's like a certain wrestler versus another wrestler and so on. I wonder if there would have been like a real like niche part of the wrestling internet community that were just proper obsessed with the Dungeon of Doom. Like how people get obsessed with like Bullet Club and stuff like that. I, I like to think there would have been a real niche cult-like following for the Dungeon of Doom. Can you imagine the merch sales? I mean, the T-shirts alone <laughs> would have been cool. <laughs> I'd want a T-shirt that was just yellow and in black just had Kevin Sullivan's eyebrows across my chest. In the same way that in the same way that Goldberg did a t-shirt with just his tattoo, I'd want a t-shirt of Sullivan's eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would actually wear that. Yeah, now you've got me thinking, I must create some Dungeon of Doom t-shirts. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> let's let's I'll tell you what, let's let's think about creating some Nitro Knights t-shirts first before we branch out into Dungeon of Doom merch. <laughs> anyway. We are uh, greeted, I suppose, or the show is opened with, sorry, uh, the actual proper show as opposed to the rerun part we are seeing with, as standard, you know, practice tends to be, it's Johnny B. Bad opening the show <laughs> again. <laughs> uh, Johnny B. Bad is facing Diamond Dallas Page, and this is a uh, rematch, for, literally from the previous night at the World War Three pay-per-view for the WCW Television Championship, currently held by Johnny B. Bad, of course. Johnny B. Bad comes out first, which is odd for me, because of course he's champion and so on. But he come and of course he's the babyface, so it is weird that he comes out first. But we see why in a moment. Johnny B. Bad comes out first, and he's got Kimberly with him, the Diamond Doll. She is there with Johnny B. Bad, uh, and I've just got a note here saying Johnny B. Bad is still bloody great. He's got the cape and the, he's throwing frisbees in the crowd, and he lets Kimberly shoot the bad blaster, and it's just. The crowd just go mad when he comes out. And it's to me, it's just absolutely superb, Danny. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just wish, as I was watching us, I just wish he stuck around in WW a bit longer. Um, it, I don't know. I don't want to say he would be main eventer, but I would have enjoyed him in this character a lot more. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever see a, I don't ever see a Johnny B. Bad kind of going higher than where he is now, I suppose, as we look at it in 95. I mean, he is very much kind of, I, I, I always think of back, think back and I rate the, the United States Championship as more prestigious than the television title in my head. So I always think of him as between TV title and United States title level. If he makes it up to semi-main or something like that, wrestling for the United States title, I don't think he would have been out of place. But at the same yep. time, he's also very, very good in the role he has of opening the show and getting the crowd going and so on. So I don't see ever see, I wouldn't, especially when the NWO came in, and there's so much going on there, and likes of staying and, and so on. You wouldn't have seen Johnny B. Bad at that level, I don't think. However, no. he went across to WWE and they changed his gimmick and Sable came with him, who was incredibly over. She was a, she was a monster superstar in, in the first year or two that they were there. And he didn't really elevate much higher there either, did he? 
No, he was kind of the same position, wasn't he? And I think you're right, you've got a good point, because maybe he would have just been fed to Goldberg in a couple of years after this if he had stuck around. Well, yeah, there is that. Spoilers, Danny. Spoilers. People want to be aware of this. <laughs> Page comes out uh, wearing the same dodgy green splodges on his gear as last time. And he's carrying a bunch of flowers, which are obviously going to be for the Diamond Doll, be for Kimberly. He hands her the flowers and the match starts. And and it starts, you know, as, as these matches, they, they tie up a few times, they throw a few punches. But then the camera kind of comes away from the normal camera angle. And we effectively watch the majority of the match from behind Kimberly on the floor. And it's quite a strange. It's very much, it's, it's made very clear that the wrestling that's happening, the, the match in the ring is very secondary to what Kimberly is doing, simply because the camera does not go back to the action until the very end of the match, Danny, does it? Yeah, um, that's a great point. Um, it's called the manager's point of view, isn't it? Um, I suppose, yeah. And it was, to paraphrase Bobby Heenan's future quote on this, uh, whose side is she on, Sai? Well, this is the question, isn't it? Because obviously at World War Three, it was very apparent she was pissed off with Dallas Page. Here she's come out. She's very keen on Johnny B. Bad and she's got the 10 plus sign and she's smiling and that. Paige has given her this bunch of flowers and then she looks in the flowers and pulls out a short length of chain. And she's then trying to hide it, whereas nothing has happened yet that actually means that, you know, she's done anything wrong, but she's still trying to hide it. So straight away, the alarm bells as a viewer start ringing. You start thinking, okay, why is she trying to hide the chain if she's aligned with Johnny B. Bad? Because Paige has handed her this with the chain. So what's that about? And then at the end of the match, Paige is obviously asking for the chain. Kimberly throws it in the ring, uh, and it's quite a poor effort, to be fair, with, with regards to her throw. It goes between Paige's legs. Johnny B. Bad picks it up, wraps it around his fist, smacks Paige, knocks him out, wins the match. Now, afterwards, we get an exchange on the outside where Kimberly was very... I mean, this whole scenario, she was very unsure of what was what she wanted to do and so on. On the outside, we get an exchange where Kimberly very much says, you know, or Bad asks her what, what happened, what was all that about? And Kimberly basically just smiles and says, it doesn't matter, you won, that's the main thing. So we don't get any sort of real idea or closure as to whether she's siding with Paige and it's all going to be, a, and she was trying to help Paige from, from the inside, so to speak. Or it was just, you know, an accident and, and she she's with, you know, Johnny B. Bad all along. And as silly as this may be, it's got me it's got me hooked, Danny. It's, it's dragged me in now. I want to watch more of this storyline to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, WSW at this time, we're, we're seeing that, aren't we? That they do carry on with good storylines. Um, this would be a term called long-term storytelling. Well, I don't know how long-term it's going to go. <laughs> in, com in comparison to WWE now, I suppose it's long-term because it's lasted more than yeah. a few weeks. So <laughs> We have Mean Gene Oakland then on the ramp. And whenever Oakland's on the ramp, I get concerned because it's very rare he interviews the Dungeon of Doom in the ring. It's normally up on the entranceway. So as soon as you see Gene on the entrance ramp, you're thinking, Oh, no. What's going to happen here? And, of course, Kevin Sullivan is there, too, with Jimmy Hart. And they basically have a bit of a recap and a discussion about World War Three. And then Sullivan says he's unsure about Luger because of all the whole Luger and Sting business and the fact that, you know, Sting talks Luger down from hurting Savage at the pay-per-view and so on. Uh, Jimmy Hart then says that he and Luger have a plan. 
So Sullivan seems really, really happy and instantly convinced that everything's okay again. So I, I don't, what did you think of this whole segment here? It's obviously, again, they're trying to just sort of drop little bits in to make us think about what's what's coming up, what's going to happen, and so on. It's just little touches on in the story. But how, how do you think this whole se- this whole segment came across? Um, I enjoyed it because uh, it does carry on. Like you said, it carries on from the previous night. Um, I'm actually hoping that Lex Luger turns face, but um, I can't see that at the minute. But um, let's hope. Yeah, it is that whole thing of what... I suppose it's like, in a way, it's like Kimberly, isn't it? We don't yeah. know quite what's going on because he's mates with Sting, but then he's with the Dungeon of Doom. He rest, He's wrestling as a heel, but he quite openly will run out and save his best mate Sting, who's a big baby face. It's, it's very much, it's not a straightforward one-dimensional good guy, bad guy situation. And I like that because it keeps you guessing. It keeps making you think, well, what's going to happen next? And if you're thinking what happens next, naturally, you tune in next week, don't you? Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a big departure from what was going on on the other side, as Dovstov you love to say. Uh, okay. Do you know what was going on on the other side this week? Um, nothing really interesting, but um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what I meant by that is like the WWF's um, storytelling at this time was very straightforward, where this is more based in reality. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I suppose. I think, I think it was my wife who, who sort of shared a quote online from somewhere that made me made me laugh, and it did sort of stick in my head about about stuff in wrestling as well. It bad people can do good things, but good people can also do bad things. It doesn't necessarily mean then that you are just a good person or a bad person. WWE, I think, a lot of the time are okay. You're a bad guy, so you are a bad guy. You do bad stuff all the time. That's the way it is. And, and if you're a good guy, you can never do anything bad. Whereas in this period, I mean, 95, 96 and so on. Whereas in WCW, we're already seeing that kind of shades of grey, as opposed to it all being very black and white. Even something as straightforward as Kimberly and the Luger stuff here, that maybe you do get later on, with the likes of Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, Bret Hart as well, when he was a baby face in Canada, and a heel everywhere else, and so on. There are these... It's not just like, oh, I, I'm a bad guy. So I'm going to cheat to win, and I'm uh, I'm I'm a hard person. It comes in later in the WWF. We're seeing bits of it in WCW already, aren't we? As, as early as '95 here. Yeah, um, and it's this formula that WWE continue to use to this day that I think they genuinely got off of WCW. Um, the uh, good guy does bad things, as you said, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we come to a bit more wrestling then, Danny. We have another rematch from the night before. We have Paul Nakano and Akiro Hotuko. Uh, they're accompanied by Sonny Ono, of course. And they took on the tag team of QT Suzuki and Mayumi Ozaki. And as I said last week, if I've butchered any of those names or I butcher them going forward, I'd strongly, hugely apologise. <laughs> you did a better pretend- job than me. <laughs> I have to really concentrate when I'm reading them. I can't just... <laughs> uh, I don't think this was quite as good as the match that we saw on World War Three. I don't. I think they were given a little bit less time. It seemed a little bit more clunky. There was a few more of the... I, I suppose bigger moments in the match. Like there's a drop kick from the top and there was also a... Um, a, a moonsault from the top to the outside and so on that effectively missed their opponents or missed the, the timing was off. But again, it was still, it was still enjoyable for me. There was nothing here that I hated. It just wasn't quite as good as the, the night before. What did you think, Danny? 
Yeah, pretty much the same. Um, a lot of action, a lot of um, just like high spots and things like that. But um, it was a good mix. Um, I, I just wrote down in the notes, I do wish Mike Tanay was on a commentary for this, but um, oh, yeah. they didn't wheel him out. Uh, he must have been busy doing something else. But um, yeah, an enjoyable match. But as you said, it was just a little short on time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's funny you mentioned today because I didn't even I didn't even think of that. And of course, we've got Mongo back, haven't we? With, with oh. Pepe the dog. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest with you, when Mongo came back and him and Bobby Heenan start sniping at each other and, and making little snidey comments and and, and and digging at each other and so on. Obviously, Heenan's masterful at this. He's fantastic. And Mongo comes across very much like a young kid going, yeah, I know you are, but what am I? Sort of, you know, for want, for want of a better term, he lacks... You know, his banter is terrible, shall we say. And even though I hate using that term myself, like I'm struggling to think of another way of wording it, but he, he lacks what Heenan has. But the fact that Mongo says certain things and Heenan reacts to them, I kind of missed that dynamic a little bit on World War Three. As great as 10A was, and yes, I would like him to have been present for this match, I kind of did miss Mongo a little bit, which is funny because we've spent weeks mocking him, haven't we? We have, um, yeah, I would, I would 100% agree with that because Mongo, um, I like, I think we said it last week, I, he really should have been on the, on the pay-per-view because grown on us, he really is. Mm. There's just something likeable about the guy, even though, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're aware that eventually he does go on to wrestle as well, Danny. Yeah, in that very famous Goldberg feud. Yeah, and I, even though when he was a commentator... He, he was just a bit crap. Yeah. <laughs> and then as a wrestler, he was also just a little bit crap. There's something quite likable about him. Oh, There's yeah. Very, you know, you can't help but like the guy. Yeah, there was that um, very enjoyable Twitter account a few years ago floating around of his uh, his uh, in-ring work. I don't know if you remember it. Yes. Yeah, was it called What's Mongo Doing or something like that? Or um, yeah, something like that. But I do remember um, a lot of fans appreciating, uh, coming to appreciate Mongo because they realised it must have been hard for him. He didn't really have much training, um, and you can say the same with commentary as well. He was kind of just thrown in at the deep end, mm. wasn't he? I yeah. mean, I really doubt. Um, he, I mean, he might he might have had a few tips from Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff, but he was really thrown onto the the yeah the deep end, is what I can say. Yeah, literally the first episode of Nitro just chucked in front of a camera and off we go wasn't it it was sink or swim yeah. i suppose so yeah and and pepe as well well that's it pepe's a star isn't he? yeah <laughs> pepe's over um <laughs> eventually that i mean there's, there's actually there's one spot on this i want to talk about before we get to the finish there's a powerbomb spot where Hotuko goes to to powerbomb her opponent struggles and then manages to deadlift her up and do it anyway and the power she showed, oh my goodness, it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, a really vicious powerbomb as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely something that we, I mean, the art of the powerbomb is, is a lost one to me. I mean, everyone's doing it now, but if, if we just stuck to somebody like this doing it, it would have been far more effective as a finisher. But it's like anything, isn't it? It's like we had a discussion recently on chain wrestling about the, the Panama Sunrise, which was effectively a Canadian destroyer. Uh, and that used to end matches. Now it's, it's getting rolled out every other week by different people. You know, I mean, don't even start me off about the super kick <laughs> and the DDT. 
That's one of my biggest pet hates in wrestling, the super kick and the DDT, and I transition moves. Shawn Michaels won five world titles with a fucking super kick. You know, <laughs> let's, not, let's not downplay that, shall we? Yeah, I totally see what you mean. Um, I mean, wrestling, even the famous uh, was one of my favourites as a kid, and now that's mm. become a transition move. Yeah, real shame, real shame. And eventually, it's got to get to a point, because you can't add more flips. When you span in the air 10 times, you can't add an 11th. There comes a point where you can't, you know, the, the pile driver is a transitional move. The DDT has now become a transition, transitional move, uh, and, and so on. Eventually, you're going to get to a point where none of the moves mean anything because none of them have been protected. And you cannot invent any more new moves. You're going to run out of things to do eventually. So all of a sudden then, no one's got any finishers. That will be an interesting watch for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. There we go. Anyway, the finish here was a really uh, amazing looking, uh, I suppose, Fisherman's Buster, I guess. It, was, it looked like they were going for um, the perfect plex, the, the, the Fisherman suplex, where they hook the leg as they're suplexing their opponent. But when they're in the vertical position, just drop them down on their head and the back of their neck. So it's, I suppose a, a Fisherman's Buster, a Brain Buster of, of sorts to Suzuki. And, and they win the match. The heels win the match again. And as I said, Danny, I enjoyed it. There's enough there to keep me keep me interested. But it weren't as good as the night before, I guess. Yeah, it's the same here. That that suplex did look absolutely brutal as well. And mm. um yeah, I mean it was to me this was the match of the night, but we'll get into that a bit later on. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh we then have a, a, a sighting of the great orange one as Hulk Hogan is going to uh, wrestle for us on television. How kind of him. He's not just coming out and rambling nonsense and waving a sword around or anything like that this time. He's coming out in the red and yellow to what well, I think is low-key a bit of a banger entrance theme. The American-made WCW entrance theme. That is that is a tune. Oh, yeah. We mentioned it on a previous show where he used that in TNA, and um, that is a great song. You're right. It's a banger. Yeah. It's not, it's not as good as Real American, don't get me wrong, but it's up there. It's up there. Yeah, it's the best they could do in WCW. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, and Hogan is facing Hugh Morris, or Humorous, as he kept getting called on a previous episode. And we're informed that Hugh Morris has joined the Dungeon of Doom now, because, I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, it just seems, I, I'm I'm of the mindset that the Dungeon of Doom, it felt like at one stage it was on its way out, because, I mean, who's left for Hogan to beat? The Giant, he still hasn't vanquished yet, let's bear that in mind. But who's left for Hogan to beat other than the Giant? But they just keep adding people to the Dungeon of Doom for Hogan to beat, so I suppose this storyline could effectively go on forever. They just keep adding more people to the Dungeon of Doom, I guess. It's that old heel factory mentality, isn't it? Mm. Yes, indeed. And the commentary here gives us a little bit of information about what's been going on since World War Three, effectively. Because Bischoff informs everybody on commentary that WCW's executive committee has officially declared Randy Savage as the WCW champion, despite the, the confusion of last night's finish and Hogan protesting against it and so on. Uh, we then get a typical Hogan match here don't we it's punch kick punch kick i say a typical hogan match i mean there's the drop toe hold there's the hammerlock stuff hogan pulls out the bag which is quite refreshing to not always see that i guess but it, primarily it's a hogan match what interests me though danny is the crowd here now we spoke about hogan being booed in a previous nitro quite heavily booed here i think the crowd changes their mind about him literally during this short match because when he comes out, I think he gets quite a good reaction. As the match goes on, I think it's more of a mixed reaction. 
And then at the end of the match, when he starts to hulk up and then hits the big boot and the leg drop finish, he's getting pretty much booed. So in the course of three and a half minutes, this crowd changed their mind, I think. Did you pick up on any of that? Yeah, I definitely did. And I th- I think it was because maybe they loved Hugh Morris that much. No, but but seriously, yeah, I could definitely see the um, crowd turning here as well. Hmm. The thing that really annoyed me was Eric Bischoff referring to Hulk Hogan as the real champ, further downplaying Macho Man's... Oh. Uh, I mean, Eric Bischoff's been Hulk Hogan's biggest supporter, even to this day. But yeah. I think that kind of just was like, oh, come on. Did he really need to call him that? I mean, obviously, we've got the the hindsight, I suppose. We, we know what happens when eventually Hogan does turn his back on the fans and so on and joins the NWO. So we know where this goes. However, at this point in time, if if we did if we weren't aware of what was around the corner for us, to me, it feels like now they're flogging a dead horse. Yeah. It's like they've got to get every last penny out of the red and yellow Hulkamania machine that they can because they're paying, they're paying Hogan ridiculous amounts of cash to be on the show. And it feels yeah. like they've got to literally milk what they can out of this now because it is, it is, it's on its way out. It's the whole say your prayers, eat your vitamins, drink your milk and so on. People are sick of it. It's, it's, it, it we've seen it for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could definitely see that where he was like, um, maybe himself. I mean, I've, I don't know why I don't remember this from any of his books. I've got all three of them. Um, and uh, But I do rem- I remember a vague story of like where he was getting fed up. And well, I mean, a lot of lies are in those books, but I, rem- yeah. I do remember um, him contemplating leave. He said that at this point he was actually thinking about leaving wrestling after WCW um, because of the crowd. And um, it was like, ah, come on. Like, so if this NWO thing didn't happen, I wonder where Hulk Hogan would have been in a year from this. I can tell you exactly where Hulk Hogan would have been in a year's time from this. Wherever the biggest pile of cash was. Because that's ah. literally all. I mean, the whole thing with McMahon and, and WrestleMania 1 and then building the WWF together and so on. As soon as more money was thrown his way, he was gone. You know, as soon as there was more money available somewhere else, he was gone. The same yeah. with the same with the AWA. Obviously, he had a big falling out with Verengania in the early eighties over different movies and so on, which eventually would also hinder his time in the WWF with Vince McMahon. But he was at the top of the card. They never quite pulled the trigger on him winning the AWA World Championship back in the day. But he was top of the card. He was earning good money there. And as soon as a big money offer came from Vince, he was gone. You know, so to, Hogan. And rightfully so. Don't I don't want anyone to take this as me being negative because ultimately it's a business. A lot of people seem to forget. You know, this is a business. You go where the money is. And Hogan would have just literally in a year's time he would have gone where the money is. That's what I. That's what I think anyway. Personally, we will never know, but that's what I think anyway, Danny. Yeah. No. Uh, and you do make a good point about Hugh Morris just being chucked into the uh, dungeon of doom. I just want to quickly go back to that. Um, I thought he actually fit in this stable really good due to his um, ring attire. What was he wearing? I can't remember. Eh? It was very like a, a polka dots type dusty roasting, but instead of yellow, it was like um, colourful. And okay. he actually did look like he belonged in a weird stable like this. I mean, either this or the oddities. So I think I'm, yeah. I'm glad he chose uh, the Dungeon of Doom. He had that funny thing going on as well, didn't he, where he just started laughing. You know, and la- like visibly, like just roaring with laughter, 
and then all of a sudden just stop and stare at someone. Yeah. And it, as far as I know, that never really got explained and then just kind of went away. <laughs> yeah, um, it was something that, um, I mean, he, he was a good character wrestler, I think. Yeah, he was a bit of a dick in later years, though, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, God, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, any anyone that, I think he's a big part of me not watching Tough Enough because mm. um, I just found him annoying. <laughs> Yes, anyone interested in that, just look up Bill DeMott and uh, check out some stories about him and the way he treated people he trained. He was not a pleasant man. Humorous, he was not, shall we say. <laughs> oh, that was a terrible joke. That was that was awful. I apologise to everyone for that. That was terrible. I'll do you one better. That's no laughing matter, Si. Oh, dear me. This is pun central today. Um, <laughs> Oakland is back on the entrance ramp, but thankfully there is not a men- member of the Dungeon of Doom in sight. We have the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Randy Savage, coming out to not much of a reaction, to be fair. You know, this, yeah. crowd, this crowd gave more for Hogan on his entrance than they did Savage, to be to be honest. Yeah, it, it was very reminiscent of um, when Christian came back to WWE and everyone was expecting this massive pop, but he just came back to just almost silence and mm. Todd Grisham going, it's, it's Christian. And it was like this, you'd expect you. I mean, when I put this on the WWE network, I was thinking this is going to be a massive celebration. There's going to be loads yep. of balloons and fanfare and things. And it was just kind of, he might as well have not had the WWE title. Spot on, mate. Spot on. You got to think he's on good money here. Savage. He's getting paid decent money. He's been bought in because he is a star. He's got the Slim Jim deal as well. Randy Savage in in 95 to WCW was a bloody big deal in the wrestling world. And this is his first world title win. And he's he's an afterthought. It's all about Hogan and and should Hogan have really won. And, you know, (laughs) we can sum it up in this section here, to be fair, because, I mean, Savage comes out and he looks fantastic. The red and white gear is awesome. The big gold championship belt really suits him. And it's funny because I love that title. That's my favorite title belt of all time. But I never link it with Randy Savage. Yeah. In my mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, that really does. Because I think Macho Man's more of a WWF guy. I've seen as more of a WWF guy. Mm, yeah, that's fair enough. But no, you, you, do, you do make a good point about the ring attire and the um, the belt. It did look great on him. Yeah, he looked every bit the star, didn't he? He looked every bit a main eventer. He, he looked every bit the champion, shall we say? Yeah, absolutely. But then, as he as he's talking about about World War Three and the controversy and so on, which again we spoke about last week, that why couldn't Savage have just won the belt clean? Why does it have to be this controversy? It undermines him straight away. But never mind. Of course, Hogan shows up. Now Hogan comes out and at one point describes. Savage's brother's friend or something I'm not quite sure what, what happened there maybe he's trying to get two words out at the same time but and he says that that's his championship and two people didn't go over the top rope so as far as I'm concerned you're not the real champion is kind of the thing he's trying to say and then he points out that the nameplate on the belt the little name tag that they change when whenever a new champion is crowned the nameplate still says Hulk Hogan on it that's that insane is, I cannot get my head around that. How can that? How can that be? I mean, if you look on WWE YouTube right now, they all when there's a title change, they always have videos of um, the nameplate getting changed minutes after they walk back through the curtain. Mm. 
Yeah. So I mean that the, if you compare it to ninety five, um, that's just it's weird that they still had the. I mean, it's like this title reign didn't matter. It's like we're just going to give it back to Hulk Hogan anyway, so he might as well keep his name on it. The thing is, Savage himself, when it's po- Hogan, I mean, Hogan's a shit for pointing it out. Yeah. If Hogan didn't point it out, no one would have noticed. Yeah. You can't see it clearly on the belt, but as soon as it was pointed out, I had a look and it's right. It says Hulk Hogan. So Hogan's a shit for pointing it out. And I think he knows exactly what he's doing there. Yeah. You know, he's been around the business long enough to understand what he is doing there. He's undermining Savage's title win again. But Savage's response is very much like, oh, yeah. I'm planning on getting that sorted. And it's just like, oh man, just, just makes him look a mug. Yeah. It was very blase, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. They try and play the footage of the end of the battle Royal from world war three. But when it gets to the point where Hogan, we remember Hogan slipping under the bottom rope that there's like a a fuzz and some sort of malfunction and the camera cuts off that the screen cuts off. So we don't get to see it. And Savage brilliantly here says, I didn't see anything, which is, I thought was great. So yeah, fuck you, Hogan. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then the giant attacks just comes out just starts. He choke slams Savage on the entrance ramp. And again, this to me made Savage look weak as hell. He's choke slam, slammed Savage on the entrance ramp, chases Hogan to the ring. He's scrapping with Hogan. Sting runs out to make the save, gets choked out by the giant. Hogan grabs a chair and keeps decking the giant and decking the giant and walloping him and so on until the giant starts to leave. During this, Hogan's accidentally hit the referee as well, which is quite important for later on. But Hogan's took a a, a few punches and the slams and so on from the giant, but he's up swinging a chair. Your world champion on the first day of his title reign has took one choke slam and not moved. Wow. They're just cutting Randy Savage out of the knees right away, aren't they? Definitely. I mean, uh, you could just you could just smell the political nature here. Because mm. Hogan, you know, Hogan walks away from this segment looking the star, looking like the big deal, looking like the tough guy. Where Savage has spent the segment having his title win questioned, and then having a lie down because he's had, he's took one move from the giant. It's just, well, it's not a good look, is it? No, definitely not. And then add to the fact that Eric Bischoff referred to Hulk Hogan as the real world's champion uh, at the top of the show. Um, And obviously the commentators just screaming uh, in the intro. Uh, They screamed about eight times. They mentioned the word controversy. Um, Yeah, I mean, Macho Man is definitely playing second fiddle here, despite being the world champion. Which is, you know, not the way to do it. You're not going to build... I was going to say build new stars, but Savage Savage's stars are already quite high and it's not new. He's been around a long time, but you're not going to cement somebody in place as the figurehead of your, of your company. Or even, I mean, to me that it's ridiculous anyway, because there's money in Savage v. Hogan. I'm looking at Hogan in the, in the red and yellow in 95 and I'm thinking, what more can he do? Yeah. Okay. We, we, we had the match with Luger way back in September. Uh, he's faced Sting. What more can we do? I mean, to me, the Giant is still an option because he's not beaten the Giant yet or it's not gone to a conclusive decision. So that, as much as I would not want to see that match again, the Giant is an option for headlining a pay-per-view. That way, I think, yeah. would still be, I think that would still draw. Yeah. It, what, what else is left? Savage versus Hogan is kind of all that's left. So surely you want to build Savage up as big as you can 
to make it worthy of facing the Hogan Savage main event in 1995, because that's what five, six years from when they did it for the WWF. So yeah, I just don't understand. No, I, I, I'm completely with you. So it's, it's just mind boggling. Why? I mean, they, they treated much a man like this. I mean, um, not to play spoiler, but I mean, all his WCW tower reigns were kind of similar to this. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've got plenty of them to look through, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we come then, I guess, to our main event. And I'm not going to lie, when we looked at the, the the names involved in this main event, I was like, oh, yeah, I am all about this. This is, you know, this this sounds fantastic. We've got the odd couple, the, you know, what's going on, I guess, tag team of Sting and Luger. You know, the heel face dynamic, the, the best friends, but one of them's a baddie, one of them's a goodie sort of dynamic there. And they are facing uh, two of the four horsemen. Oh, yeah, by the way, the four horsemen are still a thing. We haven't heard about them for a little while, but that's still a thing, believe it or not. <laughs> we have Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. Now, the entrances are a bit off here, and I wanted to ask you about this because I know you got a bit of a thing about Arn, Arn Anderson's entrances. We go to an advert, we come back, Arn does get an entrance, but it's kind of rushed, isn't it? What, what, what do you think, Danny? Yeah, definitely. Was um, you could tell they were running low on TV time, so they was just like, "Get out there, get out there, quick!" <laughs> yeah. But um, I think the biggest thing uh, about this entrance um, was the late music of Lex Luger <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah, it was funny because at the time I'm sat there, I'm thinking, "Is he going to no show?" Because obviously everyone else is out. It's just Luger we're waiting on. Is he yeah. going to no, no show? And is this whole thing being, you know, a heel turn, a swerve, or he's turning on Sting, he's going to abandon him, whatever. But it turns out that, no, that's not the case. They just screwed up his music. So he ended up walking out with nothing for a little while. Then his music came on. It, oh, it's just an absolute mess, wasn't it? I'd like to think that he was backstage and he they told him to get out there with Sting, but he thought, no, I'm a big star. You're, I'm going to wait here until you put that tape in the tape player and have me go to the <laughs> ring, <laughs> knowing the diva that he was back then. Yeah. Um, love you, Lex. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, dear me. Uh, the match here does does feel quite quick as well. I mean, this is the sort of match I would really want to watch with it being given a lot more TV time because these are four guys that I think you, you would get a good match out of this. I mean, we see the Spinebuster from Anderson really early and then we see quite a cool spot where Sting and Luger, uh, they, they, they double press slam their opponents above their heads, which is quite cool. But what's interesting for me is, again, coming back to the makeup of the Sting and Luger kind of friendship, Sting's the ultimate babyface. We know that. Luger's wrestling as a total heel here. He's he's raking the eyes. He's rubbing the face across the top rope. He's wrestling as a total heel. And then we get little, I suppose, little moments, little hints of, is he going to stick with Sting? Is he going to turn on Sting? For example, he pushes one of his opponents, Luger, sorry, pushes one of his opponents off the top rope, but they hit Sting. So it's that thing of, okay, was that intentional on Luger's part or was he just trying to stop the guy coming off? The, I think it was Pillman coming off the top rope to attack Sting and accidentally bundled into him. There was a moment where Sting was desperate for a tag, but Luger wasn't in the corner because he was around the other side of the ring fighting Pillman. Now again, is that intentional or was that just bad timing? I think this is really cleverly done because again, you get no answers 
you know, it, it intrigues you more and more, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. It does blow in the lines, isn't it? Mm, yeah, really clever. Really clever. I mean, ultimately, it, the match doesn't really go anywhere. Um, Sting pins Brian Pillman um, at the very end with a roll-up. But we have the horseman out now. Flair comes out and starts attacking. I mean, a wonderful piece of 1990s knitwear. You know, a, a glorious jumper that Flair is wearing, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it was very off the time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. Uh, and Flair comes out, and then Hulk Hogan comes out. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just all a bit of a mess. And then, interestingly, we get another little nugget added to the Sting Luger segment storyline because Luger is there, and he's part of the Dungeon of Doom. Of course, Hogan's feuding with the Dungeon of Doom. Hogan and Sting are friends. Luger and Sting are friends. Hogan turns to punch Luger, but Sting stops him and says, no, he's with me. Luger rolls out the ring and leaves. Now that I thought was excellent because it just adds more to this kind of where's Sting's head at, where's Luger's head at, etc. What did you think of the main event in general? Um, like you said, very much rushed um, because you could tell they were running low on TV time. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, storytelling aspect after the match. Um, like you said, just um, we don't know where Sting's head is, or, or but we do know that Lex Luger is still part of the Dungeon of Doom. And is this playing into the plan that him and Jimmy Hart have? Oh, yeah, if there's a plan at all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it it means to me, I want to watch next week. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the purpose of it, isn't it? It's it's, it's very good to me. It's very, very good television. I mean, I suppose we'll get to it now then. Uh, We've got our woos and our old brothers, our good points and bad points and so on. And then we give it a a rating, hit, miss or middling. I suppose we'll start off, Danny, with our woos and old brothers. Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Brother. Uh, do you want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, sir. Okay, bud, no worries. I'll start off with my negative, And my negative this week is literally just Hulk Hogan's behaviour and the whole burial of Randy Savage's title win. I think that is absolutely shocking. By WCW as a company, by Hogan. I'm a savage, let it happen. So I suppose you've got to put a bit of blame on him as well, I guess. But yeah, not a good way to, you know, solidify your new world champion. That's my uh, that's my old brother this week, mate. Mine's is pretty much the exact same. Um, I'm just disappointed with that. Just going off at that a minute, wasn't it the same case when Macho Man was the WWF champion in the 80s uh, mm-hmm. when he um, with um, Hulk Hogan? Didn't they go through something similar to this? Yeah, when Hogan won... Sorry, when Savage won the world title, that was at WrestleMania 4. It was a one-night tournament because the title had been vacated. Uh, Savage won the championship, but he had to do it with a bit of help from Hogan. And it was Hogan celebrating and Hogan in the center of all the pictures and so on. And and Savage, Savage was your new champion. Hogan was going off to make a movie. Savage was your new champion, but it even then was all about Hogan, all about Hogan. You know, so that was quite similar as well. Uh, It did lead to a fantastic year long storyline where the, the mega powers exploded as the term is, and you got the, the, the sort of, you know, Hogan's advances towards Miss Elizabeth. Were they innocent or were they a bit more what was going on in Savage's head or were Savage just paranoid? And then it all splits up on episode of Saturday night's main event. And you had the whole Randy Savage promo of, mm, he had lust in his eyes and all that sort of stuff. And 
it was brilliantly, brilliantly done, the turn and the split. But the initial title win by Savage, yeah, was very much overshadowed again by by Mr. Belia, sadly. So Ah, and things some things never change. No, wait, there we go. There we go. What's so, your um woo? Sorry. My woo this week is um Johnny B. Bad again. I think this guy is a star. He is fantastic. And opening the show with him and the frisbees and the glitter gun and the cape and the dancing and the Craig getting into it. Brilliant stuff. I was excited to see Johnny B. Bad when he came out. So, yeah, that's my way. What's yours this week, my friend? In a shocking turn of events, this does involve Hulk Hogan. But Oh, my God. Um, I have to give him a woo reluctantly because he did sell three moves from Hugh Morris. Why? Is that, I, is that a woo or is that a woo or is that an old brother? Is that a, is that a woo and an old brother? Because he sold, but he only sold three. Is <laughs> I think you could be right there. I could be stuck in the middle there because when I when I stuck this match on, I was thinking, no way, Hulk Hogan's going to sell for someone like Hugh Morris, but he did, and I was actually mm. surprised. He even got on the, he even took a bump, just one single bump on the mat. I was That's very amazing. shocked. Well, there we go. Perhaps things do change, mate. Perhaps things do change. <laughs> Sadly, Hugh Morris was treated better by Hulk Hogan than Macho Man was. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair point. <laughs> and that's supposed to be one of his best mates. <laughs> oh, what an observation that is. Uh, hit, miss or middling this week then, my friend? I'm going with a hit this week because, um, yes, there was some terrible stuff on here, but I was entertained throughout the entire show, to be honest. And um, it made me, like you said, um, want to tune into next week. Um, How about yourself, Si? Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. The Hogan stuff annoyed me. But at the same time, as much as it annoys me, it's still making me think, I want to watch next week to see what happens. You know? Uh, yeah, Johnny absolutely. B, yeah, Johnny B. Bad and Don Dallas Page in the opener, the whole Kimberly stuff. That's got me intrigued. Whereas the horsemen are here now and they're attacking people. So obviously they're going to be more involved going forward. So that intrigues me. So yeah, I mean, the Luger stuff. Yeah, everything about it. it I watched this whole show and bits of it made me angry because Hogan's a dick. But aside from that, I enjoyed the whole show. So yeah, definitely a hit for me this week, my friend. Brilliant. Excellent stuff. Okay, then, before we depart, uh, I suppose you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you and your awesome content online, Danny Bird. Um, One thing I do want you to definitely shout out is the show you do with Chris Bellis, not just One Man's Meat, but the horror movie spinoff. I've listened to a couple of those in the last few days going to and from work, the Nightmare on Arm Street episode especially, and I am bloody loving it, pal. So, yeah, make sure you let everyone know exactly whereabouts they can find all of that great stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. Um, you can hear me on A Changing Attitude. Um, that will hopefully be back very soon. Um, you can hear me on One Man's Meat, as you said, uh, and the spin off shows, The Horrors. And you can uh, hear me here where I'll be next week with the great Sire Powell. Oh, you flatter me, bud. You flatter me. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words. And if the book of face is your preference, you can find me on there. There's a group you will need to get involved with called SJP All the Shows and Info. And via those two kind of p- contact points, you get links to all the stuff I'm involved in. If it's wrestling, you've got Chain Wrestling Live on a Monday night. 
via the Radio Techers YouTube and Twitch. Podcast version comes out later in the week. Or we have Nitro Notes here with, with our good friend Danny, of course. If time travel is more your thing, a little bit of sci-fi, you know, geeky, nerdy stuff there. It's completely up my street. We have the Doctor Who pods that we do with Dan Griffin. That comes out weekly as well, looking at old episodes and new episodes of Doctor Who. And then, of course, The Waiting Room, which is about the old late 80s, early 90s Quantum Leap TV show there that we do with our good friend, Mr. Benny Mack. But yes, at SJP Words on Twitter and SJP All The Shows and Info on Facebook is the best place to go. But most importantly... You can find this show on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Check us a follow and let us know what you think. Danny, it's been a blast again, my friend. I'm looking forward to more Johnny B. Bad next week. Absolutely, me too, sir. And let's, and let's hope that Macho Man gets a better treatment next week. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And to everybody else, as always, thank you for listening.